Pray with me. Holy Spirit, as you were sent to fill your church, fill us now. As we study your word, work through it, your word, work through my words, and feed us and grow us and continually form us to be more like the one whom we serve, the one who lived, died, and rose for us. In his name we pray. Amen. We continue through the Gospel of Mark this summer. Hopefully you're getting a chance to look at it on your own and read. It's the shortest Gospel, so if that helps you, get through it. And it's pretty action-packed. It goes quickly from story to story to story, showing you who Jesus is. Not so much telling. Other Gospels have more of the words of Jesus. Mark does a lot of showing. But he's always asking you these two questions. Who do you believe Jesus is? And will you follow him? So we keep returning to these throughout the summer. Every story you can read in Mark and have a fruitful devotion and prayer any day, any story, just by reading it, praying, and, and asking these two questions. Who do you believe Jesus? Who do I believe Jesus is? And will I follow him? What would that look like today? What would that look like in my family, in my life right now? Who do you believe Jesus is? And will you follow him? So we're into Mark chapter 4. We were in 4 last week. We're in 4 this week. We'll get into 5 next week. Mark begins saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with a bang. And you're like, whoa, who is he? And that, what? What is his gospel? Who is he? And then you're, you're kind of hooked and dragged along to read. And then Jesus is moving everywhere quickly, healing people, doing all these amazing things. And then people are excited. Crowds follow. So chapter 1, 2, 3, and the crowds are following, seeing what he's doing. There's enemies that want to kill him. And he gets to chapter 4 and then takes a teaching time out to explain to his disciples everything he's been doing. So he says, well, the kingdom of God is like, all of these things you've seen me do, the kingdom of God is like a farmer sows seed. They did by hand back then, throws it around, and it lands on all sorts of ground, good ground, bad ground, rocky, thorny, and some grows well, some not at all. And Jesus says that is a picture of people's response to the gospel. So after doing all this, he paused, times out, teaches them. Well, after that, we looked at some parables last week about that. And then, now he gets back into, back into action, so to speak. So the end of chapter 4, where we are today, says, That day, same day all of the teaching happened, when evening came, so long day, teaching all day. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, that's how our story begins, let us go over to the other side. That's the Sea of Galilee, northern Israel. Most of Jesus' ministry happens somewhere around there. Capernaum is in yellow at the top of where the arrow starts. The northwest corner, north-northwest and west, is where all the Jewish people, very faithful Jewish area. But then on the whole east side is where all the gen many Gentiles lived. And so people seen very differently, seen as pagan and ungodly and even suspect. So even in a close corner of the globe there's a lot of diversity peter's from capernaum peter andrew and i think james and john are all from capernaum and so mark is writing on peter's behalf so that's why we hear a lot a lot of him here here i'll show you this is a panoramic of sea of galilee so capernaum straight across there on the north corner there the hills on the other side are the golan heights might have heard of those 
and then all the way, a little off of the corner there is, is where they went, all the way across to the other side. So the other side, that's taken from the west here. Not very big, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, so not very big by Lake Michigan standards, but if you go to the desert and you can't find water anywhere and you're parched, you come across this giant body of fresh water, it's quite big and amazing. It's just where we live, we think that's small. Go many other places in the world, they think it's huge. But you can see all around from no matter where you are on it. So you can always see, which seems strange then, that it can, it can get such big storms as we saw in the story, even though in the daytime you usually can see all the way anywhere across, but storms still can get huge because the hills, the Golan Heights on the other side, Mount Hermon's 9,000 feet tall on the distance there, and cold air comes straight down onto this warm water, and boom, big storms very quickly. Those are the boats. <laughs> Have you been in bigger uh, rowboats, some of you? <laughs> in 1986, you find this interesting, a, get this, 2,000-year-old boat was found in the mud on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' time, those are the, the kind used. Found under the mud, they did painstaking you know, work to get it up intact, and you can you know, view it today. Quite amazing, from, literally from Jesus' day, or maybe even from 50 years before. That's a replica, life-size, uh, not very big. So they're out there in a big storm on a rowboat. And at least four of Jesus' disciples are fishermen. This is their world. This is what they know. So the story is that day, when evening came, long day, busy day, Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind. Remember, there's a crowd following him. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waters broke over the boat that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. Very big stern, right? <laughs> Sleeping on a cushion. I don't know how that's possible, but he was. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are drowning or perishing? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Then they were terrified and asked each other our question, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So one of the questions Mark's asking us, the disciples, just say it. Who is this? Who could possibly tell the weather what to do in an instant like that? So who do you believe Jesus is? I mean, they've, they're like, hey, we've seen Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, challenge the Sabbath teaching, teach about the kingdom, but, you know, commanding the weather, that's, that's, that's a whole different category. Who do you believe Jesus is? Chapter 4, he's a teacher. But is Jesus just a teacher to you? Is he just one who gives out good morals, good advice? Is he just an enlightened, wise sage that you should listen to most of the time and, and pretty much do what he says and, and life will go better? Is that who Jesus is to you? Who do you believe Jesus is? If he's only a teacher, he is most definitely a teacher, but if he is only a teacher, you might be missing something big about him. See, the disciples are afraid during the storm and Jesus says, why are you afraid? They're afraid for their lives, bailing water, the boat's getting swamped. And then Jesus talks to the weather, and in an instant it obeys, and everything's calm. 
And now it says they're terrified. So first they're afraid of the storm out there, but now they're terrified because of who's in here with us. Who can do this? Well, maybe he's not just some unshaved hippie guru wearing a bathrobe. If you believe this story to be true, if you believe that Jesus actually does have power over nature and can tell a storm what to do, if you believe Jesus has all of this power in the world, then, well, then what does it mean to follow him? What, what does it mean for him to have a claim on your life? Will you follow him? If Jesus is king of the universe, if he is the king who has used all of his kingship to lay down his life and die for you, and at his death it's the Roman centurion that says, surely this man was the son of God. If Jesus is the king who has power over everything, even the weather, and invites you to be a disciple, what does it mean to follow him? Here's a couple of, I have two thoughts on that for today. Two application thoughts. One is this. How often when you have had, call it a storm, roll through your life or come up quickly, a challenge or a season of hardship or, or long suffering, how often have you had that and you pray, God, help me, spare me, save me, or like the disciples, don't you care that I'm drowning here? I wonder how many of us have prayed that. And I wonder how many of us have prayed, God, don't you care what I'm going through? Help me. And I wonder how often when we've prayed that, it seems like God is sleeping in the back of the boat. The storm is raging. The disciples fear for their lives. And Jesus, I don't know how it's possible, but he had a long day, so he's snoozing in the back of that thing. How often does your season of hardship or suffering feel like that? Or how often have you said, God, why didn't you take this hard thing away from me? Make it go away. And continuing the story, does Jesus spare his disciples from the storm? He actually doesn't. No. He actually sends them into it, right? Jesus has lived there. He knows the weather patterns. He's a smart guy. He says, let's go. He knows this can happen, could be coming. He says, let's go. Jesus sends his disciples into a situation in which they will be afraid for their lives so that he can demonstrate his power among them. Jesus doesn't just send, he doesn't say, hey, you, there were many boats, it says. He doesn't say, hey, you guys go first. You know, I'll, I'll come back later. You know, see, see how things go. No, he doesn't do that. Jesus goes with them. He gets into the boat and he's with them. He never leaves them. So when the storm comes on the Sea of Galilee, like they do, they're afraid. Though it seems Jesus is asleep at the wheel, he is right there in the boat with them, and he never left them. And at the right time for his own reasons, which many of God's reasons we are not privy to, but in his own way, at the right time for his own reasons, Jesus shows his power to them. And then they are stunned and say, whoa. Who is this? Now, often when we look at the story, we end up want to say something like, isn't that nice? Jesus calms the storm. Jesus makes me calm. But that's not the disciples' reaction. They're afraid. Who is this? Whoa, and who is this guy, and what does it mean if he's asking me to follow him? 
Following Jesus, the Lord of the storm, the Lord of the universe, means trusting him even when it seems like he's asleep in the back of the boat. Or even when the waves seem and winds seem to be swamping the boat too much, Jesus still has power over them. Jesus has defeated all evil, all suffering, all sin, all pain in his cross and in his resurrection. And he has promised on one day that he will return and end all of that forever and give us in its place eternal joy and eternal peace. Following King Jesus, the Lord of the storm and the Lord of the universe means trusting the all-powerful King even in your suffering and hardship. The other thing about following Jesus, this story has a big mission application. Will you follow Jesus when he says to you, like he says to the disciples, let us go over to the other side? That is a loaded statement. Jesus says at the end of a long day, let us go over to the other side. Well, I told you the faithful Orthodox Jews of the time lived on the northwest corner where the arrow starts. Gentiles on the east and southeast, they were seen as suspect and pagan and ungodly, worshipped all these other gods. They probably didn't want to go there. And Jesus says, let's go there. Because he wants to tell other people the gospel. He wants to show other people who he is. Now, there were Jews clamoring for Jesus, right? They said the crowds were there. They want more teaching, more healing, more attention. Stay with us, Jesus. And he says, let's go. I'm going to take you to the other side. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to those people that you think are weird or different or ungodly or people that have a a different race or speak a different language, different religion, maybe a different legal status than you. Those people that you're suspicious of, the people that you would say those people about, the people that you're afraid of, Jesus says, let's go there and minister to them. I want them to know who I am too. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to us. He says, let's go to the other side. Let's go to people that don't yet know Jesus, that don't yet trust him, people that worship other gods, people that offend us, people that don't live like us, people that look different, people that talk different, act different, dress different, Jesus is saying, let's go to them and tell them what I have done for them too because I love them too. And when we go, it's actually Jesus leading us. He's the one that says, let's go. He doesn't say, you go first without me. He says, let's go. And as we go, there might be hardships on the way, as they had. But if you just read the very next story in Mark 5, when they get to the other side, they find a man possessed by a demon. Suffering greatly, Jesus heals him, and then he says, go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. And he does. So Jesus says, let's go to the other side, to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our friends, and show them King Jesus, who has all the power in the world to even control the weather, and yet he uses that power to save and rescue and forgive you. Who do you believe Jesus is? Is he Lord of all, with power over everything, who used that power to save you? Then will you follow him? Even when it's tough, even when it's hard and long, and even when he leads you into uncomfortable places to share the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.